Welcome to Season 1, Episode 8 of Titlian Podcast. We have another fantastic show lined up for you this week with our special guest, another local lad who has done really rather well for himself. Later on in the show, our resident motorbike specialist, Aaron O'Neill, will guide us through the many twists and turns of another action-packed weekend of short circuit racing. And I'll recap on all things four-wheel, including a momentous win for one county down driver. So, another busy weekend, Aaron. In between your work commitments and all that good weather, did you get much race action on the TV crammed into your busy schedule? Probably not as much as I, I would have liked, Jason, but um, bits and pieces. Unfortunately, um, my plans sort of changed over the weekend, but i seen I, I seen a bit of the British Superbikes on Saturday and I was just sort of tuning in with it on social media on Sunday, so um, good to have it back. And... A lot of tight battles and close racing, so it bodes well for the rest of the season. That's good to, to know. And we'll, we'll, as I said just a minute ago, we'll, we'll learn more about that um, later on in the program. But first up, let's bring on this week's guest. Before our news roundup, let's get this week's guest on. As we all know, drivers and riders tend to take all the plaudits, but success is only possible thanks to the tireless and often unreported efforts of their mechanics and engineers. So this week, Patlian Podcast thought it was time to change tack, and I'm delighted to say joining us is M Sport Ford engineer, Jamie McMillan. Originally from Ballyclare, but now living in Cumbria, Jamie graduated with a first-class master's degree in mechanical engineering from Queen's University in 2017, with this leading to a job with his current employer and the opportunity to work on World Rally Cars and join forces with some of the planet's best drivers. So, Jamie, listen, firstly, thanks very much for coming on to the, the podcast. You've landed in Estonia yesterday, Monday, via Finland, fresh from the Safari Rally. So these are pretty busy times for you, aren't they? Hi, Jason. How's it going? Yeah, yeah, it has been pretty busy. Um, just back from, from Kenya, and then um, it's a red list country, obviously, for the, for the UK at the minute. So... Um, next up on the calendar is Estonia, and uh, the best option for for M Sport was to fly us um, fly us into Estonia, and then we'll do some some prep and uh, get the cars ready to to compete there in a couple of weeks' time. And how are those preparations going? You just landed, but I imagine you're you're trying to put all the pieces together already because you seem to be quite busy at the minute with a congested calendar. <laughs> yeah, so um, the plan is there's, there's myself and, and one of the other engineers um, here at the minute, and we're going to go and drive the the Estonia stages. Um, so we do a sort of an engineer's recce before each event. Normally we do it on, on Monday or Tuesday before the rally. Um, so we fly it the weekend before. But um, flying into Estonia now gives us the opportunity to do it a little bit earlier, which means we can get a little bit more information. Um, and then we're testing this weekend. Uh, so we've got a three-day test. We're testing Saturday, Sunday, Monday uh, with Gus and Timu. So we'll have uh, three days recce in the, the rally stages. Then we'll go down to Vori on Friday, and um, we'll have a recce of the, the test stages and then start start testing on Saturday. So, um, yeah, it should give us a, a pretty good opportunity to have a, a really clear idea of what the stages are like, and then we can prepare for them at the weekend at the test. Um, and then I'll be traveling back up to Tallinn for a uh, four or five day re prep. Um, so, the, obviously, the cars are coming from Kenya on the air freight, so they won't get here for another, another week or so. So, um, we'll be pretty busy getting prepared for Estonia, and then whenever the cars arrive, we'll be. Um, preparing them after Kenya and getting them 
getting them ready with the, what we've decided from the test this weekend and then shake them down ready for the rally the following weekend. And I imagine, Jamie, your tails must be high because you had a reasonably good result there in Kenya, uh, fourth and fifth place. So what's the feeling in the, in the camp and, and how did you find the whole uh, rally Kenya experience? Yeah, that, that was the best result of the season. So um, we're pretty happy with, with where we where we finished. Um, it was a pretty much a skeleton staff out there, to be honest. Uh, obviously, the travel restrictions meant that it wasn't viable for the full team to be there. So it was a much sort of smaller team than we would normally have. So that made it the sort of the result um, all the sweeter for the people that were out there because um, it really was sort of backs to the wall stuff. Um, everyone was doing three, you know, multiple jobs, three or four jobs, and and to get through the rally without any major issues was, you know, was a really positive, a positive outcome. Um, and yeah, both the drivers showed really good pace. Obviously, Adrian won a won his first stage in WRC car, and that's our first stage win of the season. So it was nice to show that the not only is the car reliable as it was in in Kenya, and the really sort of tough and um, taxing stages, which um, caused quite a few retirements, we were able to get through without any any major technical issues. Um, so yeah, it was it was a real positive, and and hopefully we can take that forward into the rest of the year because you know it's a combination of showing the cars reliable and able to get to the finish, but then also um, competitive as well. And I think Adrian and Gus did did both those things in Kenya. And you mentioned it there at the beginning of the the, the conversation about you needing to try and think ahead and work around the, the COVID quarantine rules, and before the Kenya rally, or Safari Rally, beg your pardon, your boss, Richard Miller, said that it had been one of the toughest events to prepare for, given the, the current COVID rules. Was that something you'd go along with, Jamie? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, to be honest, travelling anywhere at the minute is really difficult with the, the COVID regulations. Uh, you know, even countries that are on the green list or the amber list, you know, the amount of COVID tests that M-Sport has to, to pay for and that we have to take before... Um, before the rally, when we get there, you know, we're taking one before we board a flight, and one when we, when we arrive to allow us into the service park, then one on day maybe day five, and we're there, then one before we leave, so we get back on the flight, then two more in the UK, and day two and day eight. So, you know, for any given event, we're probably doing six or seven COVID tests, and um, lo- even just logistically being able to plan that um, can prove quite difficult. You know, there's been times where I've only been in the UK for three or four days before traveling somewhere else, and then I need to do a a day two test and then also a fit to fly test two days before I travel. So I'm doing two COVID tests in the same day, for example. Um, so yeah, this was the first event that was on a red list that we traveled to. And it's just not really viable for a lot of the, the employees to be away from, um, from their family or from other commitments for, for that period of time. Um, Cause obviously it's, it's a week for the rally and then it's another 10 days before you can travel back. So um, yeah, for sure. I know that it was a, very difficult for, for Malcolm and Rich to try and to try and organise this event and get a get a team there, and I think that's um, sort of showed the team's resolve as well with the with the result that we had in the end as a result of it. Do you think that some way, Jamie, uh, has COVID been good in the sense that it has made teams think about how they plan for events differently? For instance, maybe and if there wasn't COVID, perhaps you'd have travelled to Kenya and then maybe back to England. Whereas now you've taking the decision, we'll not do that, we'll go on to Estonia. Is that is there positives to take out of COVID at all? I guess so, if you look at it that way, yeah. You know, anytime that there's difficulty, you have to try and see, see the positive and, and make the most out of it. So, um, yeah, maybe this is sort of a blessing in disguise and gives us a bit of a better opportunity to prepare for, um, for Estonia, because for sure, 
if I went back to the office now for a few days, I'd probably be pulled onto some more like 2022 stuff or some some other sort of office-based work. So if I can just focus this whole week and I'm preparing for Estonia Rally and, and the test this weekend, then yeah, yeah, that maybe is a, a, a one positive, let's say. And less so positive as all these tests you're getting. I mean, does it something you just grow accustomed to? Do you grow tired of it? Yeah. Or it's nature now, I suppose. Yeah, some are worse than others, to be honest. But yeah, at this point, I'm I'm pretty used to it. Okay. Well, before we talk more about the World Rally Championship, um, I wanted to give the reader a little bit more of an idea about yourself. Uh, has engineering always been something that you've been interested in? And, and if so, where did that passion stem from? Yeah, so initially, whenever I was growing up, I was my, my first sort of passion was football. Um, so I played um, football up until, well, sort of, I, I was with um, Linfield up until I was like reserve level. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I was doing well at, at school. And obviously, football was never going to be, I was never good enough to make it like across the water. So um, I sort of decided to focus more on on um, academics and I also started sort of auto testing whenever I was 14. So my dad's done that for, for many, many years. And um, that, that's where my sort of passion for, for motorsport came from. Um, I went to a few rallies uh, through, through Ireland with, with my dad when I was younger, but really I was at that point, as much as I enjoyed it, I was more focused on football. All, all I wanted to do was play football. So um, yeah, it was whenever I actually got to sit in the car myself and compete that um, the passion for motorsport started to overtake um, my interest in in sports so um yeah then i was at ballyclare high school and obviously trying to um see where where my career would take me uh the auto testing and the, the motorsport became a a career rather than just a um a hobby and yeah got, that's when when i started applying for mechanical engineering roles at um or degrees at, at queens okay and as I noticed there that, uh, or reading up on your, yourself, that you spent a year with, with Force India uh, in the day between June 2014 and June 2015. Did, did you enjoy that? Um, and what did you, what decision did you make at the end of it? Did you realise that maybe F1 wasn't what you thought it was? Or is that something that you, you might pursue later on? Um, yeah, I really enjoyed my time at, at Force India, to be honest. Um, so it's a 12-month uh, student placement. So I did two years academics, then, then one year in, in the industry, um, and then went back to finish my degree. So, you know, the plan was always after that, that 12 months to go and, and get my master's and then, and then graduate. And um, I was in the research and development department. And for Cindy it was great. You know, I, I don't have a sort of a bad word to say about it, to be honest. I really enjoyed my time there. And um, it was, I draw some similarities between, between there and Emsport. You know, it was a team in a very small budget competing at the, at the highest level and really sort of, um, you know, doing more with their budget than than the competitors and still able to really perform well. So, um, yeah, you know, and they, they were very. It was very open book there as well. You know, I had access to to all the all the CAD of the car, and you know, I could really learn a lot. Um, so, yeah, that really set me in good stead to go back and finish my degree, and then and then look into the, the wider motorsport industry. And um, I, I think if I didn't have that that placement at the time, then if I went to into the rallying after uni, I would always have a question mark with what Formula One was like and whether or not I wanted to um, to pursue that avenue. And, um, you know, to be honest, even whenever I was leaving for Cindy at the time, you know, I was going around and saying, saying goodbye to everyone. And they're all saying, oh, but, you know, we'll, we'll see you back in a couple of years. And I was like, to be honest, 
I've seen what F1 has to offer now. I sort of want to see, you know, see what else is out there. And and even then, you know, I was saying I wouldn't mind being involved in, in rallying. Or at the time, it was World Endurance Racing was the other sort of big one with Porsche Toyota and Audi at the time. So whenever I was leaving Porsche India, I was like, I want to see something else and, and then make my mind up about whether I want to, I want to get back into it. So, um, yeah, at the time, I was always keen to work directly with drivers um, and, and do the traveling as well. Um, and if you could down the Formula One Avenue with that, then... It generally takes a little bit more time. You, you spent, you know, a good few years in the in the office before you get to travel, and um, the right opportunity came up at the right time to to pursue something with within rallying and, and with M Sport. So, yeah, I think I was really sort of fortunate with the way things, the way the paths opened up at the right time for me. How did that opportunity with M Sport come about? Um, it, it was just whenever I was I was actually studying um, for my final final exams, and I was just checking jobs you know every couple of days while i was studying so it was a, it was a bit of a, a revision break um i didn't you know i wasn't really in any under any real stress to get a job straight away out of uni i was just waiting for the, the right opportunity to come up um and yeah just i think you know on, on the given day you know just the junior engineering role um position became available and uh, it all sort of um rolled quite quickly into you know into a good opportunity within a few weeks i had a the job interview and um, squeezed it in amongst my my exams and, and formation student at the time and yeah it all went it all went really well. M Sport seems to have a, a strong connection with Northern Ireland. Is that coincidental or is there more to that than maybe meets the eye? <laughs> um, I don't know. Yeah, it, it definitely does for sure. Um, it, I guess it's it's a location thing as well, and, and obviously the um, strong rallying routes within within Ireland and Northern Ireland um, lend itself towards being. Um, you know, quite well linked with M Sport. Uh, I think you can see that also from the from the cars that tend to compete in in the Northern Irish Championship and and down south as well. There is a you know a strong M Sport link there. So um, yeah, I think it's a little bit of a little bit coincidental, but also yeah, it's 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 easier to deal with somebody within the within the UK, I guess, rather than um, you know dealing with people within Europe whenever you're buying and, and getting your cars worked on. Okay, and. In December 2019, you were promoted from your a junior role to a more senior position. So that was a nice Christmas present, I presume. <laughs> yeah, yeah. To be honest, um, yeah, the the sort of um, the the rules with an M Sport that you sort of you're already doing quite a lot, and the, the sort of the name tag doesn't mean mean so much. So yeah, it was, it was nice to you know move from junior engineer into the sort of engineering role but I felt like I've been doing that job for <laughs> six or eight months before to be honest um, but yeah no it, it's nice to get the, the sort of the, the recognition and continue to um, develop within the, within the company too. And what exactly would would you you mentioned there about the 2022 car which we'll come on to in, in just a minute but what would a, a normal working day or a working week be for somebody like yourself at M Sport if you're not let I suppose you're always preparing cars for national events and international events and obviously world rally championships so i suppose it's quite varied would that be a fair comment yeah yeah for sure it, it really is um every day is is different um you know at the minute i've been away for for sort of 10 days now and i'm you know looking at my calendar i'm not going to be back in the office um until the start of august so um yeah it's quite a lot of quite a lot of traveling and yeah our, our calendar and our, our working week we're just always planning for the next the next event rather than a um a day or a day it's just right what's what's the next rally okay then how do we prepare for that and um yeah it's it's normally obviously like we've discussed um getting ready for tests so we need to sort of set up sheets and rebuild lists for the test car and um, then we need to organize our own engineers recce so 
you know, who's doing it when, when we're getting there, how long it's going to take, um, and then getting the, the cars ready for, for the event as well. So, um, yeah, there's a real good, good mix in a, even on a daily basis in terms of what we're, what we're getting involved in. And then, um, yeah, it's also tidying things up and getting reports finished from, from the previous events. Um, and then on top of that, to, to add to, to matters, there's the 2022 testing, which um, a few of the engineers this year are also, also involved in. Um, and then the other aspect of, of my job at the minute is um, I'm sort of, certainly for the 2017 car, um, I control all the, like the electronic software um, on those. So uh, like we, we use Cosworth ECUs and, and dashes and um, power systems. So we have like setups and uh, I need to sort of keep on top of, of where units are and, and, you know, the mileage on them and, and getting everything ready for, for spares and for the events and, and for tests as well. So, yeah, to be honest, it's <laughs> uh, I'm just constantly uh, keeping my head above water, trying to make sure that the, the highest priority job is done on time and then move on to the next thing. Okay. Let's say there isn't, there isn't a, a normal nine-to-five nine day, to be fair. Do you need to be, I suppose you need to be quite flexible. Let's say uh, you're ready to go home on a Tuesday, Wednesday night and something happens late in the day, you have to prepare to just drop your bag and go back into the workshop and, and all hands to pump, yeah? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's that's exactly it. Um, yeah, all, all hours, all days. You know, even customer stuff. You know, you can um, you can get a call or, or a message from from any of the customers competing at the weekend, um, and you need to be sort of on hand to to respond as quickly as possible, just to make sure that um, everything's done and there's nobody really really struggling. So, yeah, it, 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 that's exactly what what it's like. You know, there isn't really a a standardized standardized job there's no sort of clocking off at half five there's no no overtime either you don't get paid that's just sort of <laughs> taken for granted that you you know you, you'll work until the job's done um and then and then help out when needed after that so yeah that's just that's just the ethos to be honest um and it's the same in same in force india so um yeah to be honest it's something i'm i'm sort of used to and uh, it's it's no problem. Thankfully, my my girlfriend's pretty understanding, and she can <laughs> she doesn't mind me coming home late some nights, or she she expects it, so it, it, it's not a problem. That's good. She, she, your girlfriend's definitely keep her in, and she understands the long working hours. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm being away a couple of hundred days a year, <laughs> or well, maybe not. Absence well, makes a hard group founders, not what they say. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's what I try to tell her. <laughs> well, let, let, let's uh, talk about. 2022 and this this new rules cycle so for listeners who might not be familiar with what's happening next year the world rally championship will introduce hybrid technology so we'll have a um, electric motor and a battery pack which has been stored in the bit and this energy can be used either on the stages or between road sections and it's really aimed at i suppose increasing the spectacle of the the competition but also reducing the sports carbon footprint so uh, what what what's your general take on the the whole regulations, Jamie? From I suppose from your point of view, because you are working on them, you know them inside out. Now I suppose you've a a a bedtime reading on these regs. So what what do you think? <laughs> is it the is it the good way to move the sport forward and keep it relevant? Yeah, I think I think rallying sort of has to take that that route now. You know, you see the big manufacturers are are sort of moving away from um, purely petrol engines and as much as it's uh, a bit disappointing from a thoroughbred point of view that's that's the way you know to keep the sport moving forward and to keep the manufacturers interested that's what we have to do so um yeah i think the regulations are a you know a bit of a um a compromise between getting the 
the hybrid involved and then also reducing the cost of of competition at the minute with the, within the top level um so yeah to be honest looking at, at what we've produced with the what we call our sort of our, our mule car at the minute i think it is a good it's a good compromise um there's some things that are you know taken taken away you know the, the center diff um which is hydraulically and electronically controlled at the minute is like a really interesting piece of engineering and it's something that the engineers can get really involved with and and change maps between stages and, and get things set up so going back to a more conventional setup means you lose a little bit of of engineering and and um, complexity on that side but um the hybrid strategy then takes up some of your time as well so that's a certain you know another task and another area to spend your time on so um yeah you know i think it's going to be it's going to be interesting and it's, it's nice to see a, a rules change come in i think m sport has proven in the past that we can be really competitive when a um, whenever there's a major change in the regulations and and hopefully we, we do the same in 2022 is it fair to say that from next season crews will have to be more hands-on in certain in the sense that they'll be spoon-fed whereas they'll say listen jamie i need this done to the car can you do this for me and you're talking about diffs there and there's a lot more intricate parts going on is that something that the drivers and co-drivers are going to have to be more hands-on with or will it be pretty much business as usual um yeah i, th I think it's it's going to be it's going to be different let's say for sure um the focus of where the big performance gains are going to be are going to be different than where they were for the 2017 car i don't think there's any any doubt about that you know the sort of the amount of error that's available in the 2022 cars is, is reduced quite a bit so it's less dependent on, on that side of it um and there's quite a lot of things that are to reduce costs and um, there's quite a lot of things that are homologated and you only have like a single choice so um ramp angles like at the minute we have three options um for the for the diff ramps whereas next year we only have one for the full season um and then the, the gear ratios as well so at the minute we've got a tarmac and a gravel ratio whereas next year we can only have one for gravel and tarmac so again it's a compromise but it also means that the drivers don't have so many um setup options to to tune on the on the event or, or during the test so um yeah i think it'll be less focused on that and more focused on how you get the best out of the out of the hybrid strategy because um whenever you have the the boost available from the from the battery then it's a real it is a real strong performance gain um and i think you need to be you know the driver's gonna have to think a lot more um on the stages and, and live as such to to understand when they can when they can use it to the best of its um the best of its ability really um and that's one thing that we're working on quite a lot of testing is trying to understand uh you know what the driver what the driver needs what information he needs to have in the car to know when to um you know get the deployment of the, the hybrid at the right time okay and you definitely seem to be well advanced with your own uh test program you've been over in spain twice now from what i understand and the car has more or less been running to 100% capacity. So um, are you in a good place at the moment as a team? And, and do, you, do you think you are ahead of where you should be, given the fact that there was a, a recall of the hybrid packs by uh, Compact Dynamics? So where, where would them sport be at this stage? Yeah, to be honest, I think we're in a, we're in a pretty good position. So yeah, we were in um, Spain for uh, maybe four days, I think it was, and then uh, France for a test, and then we've been in in Greystoke as well a bit and yeah to be honest we're at the position now that I think the car is running um, pretty reliably um, at the start yeah there was some issues with the with the battery that was um, provided by Compact Dynamics but um, it wasn't a, a real big setback let's say um, 
you know, it made things take a little bit more time than we, we initially expected. But um, I think we quite quickly got over them. And, and yeah, we're, I think we're up, up at sort of full capacity of testing now is, uh, where we would like to be and, and where we expected to be beforehand. Um, so, yeah, no, I, I think... I think we're in a pretty good position, but you, you never really know and you're not sure exactly what the other teams are doing at this time either. So you only see certain things on, on Twitter or on social media. So, you know, with the, it, it's the usual thing with, with testing. You hear rumors and you hear this and you hear that, but until everybody turns up in, in Monte Carlo and, and goes to the first stage, you never really know what, what the competition's at and, and where you're going to be in the, on the playing field. Um, is it okay to ask what, what your, your impressions are of, of Toyota and Hyundai? Hyundai seem to have been slow out the traps, but they've seemed to have released more information on Twitter. Twitter seems to, seem to be holding the cards very close to their chest. So um, every team seems to be doing it differently. Jamie and M Sport has not so much an open book, but they're a bit more open about what they're doing. Do you think is that important for the fans to, to keep that level of interest um, out there and people guessing? Yeah, well, yeah, I guess it's, it's probably... It, it, it is something that the fans look into more than, more than us within the teams, to be honest. Um, I think a lot of it can be can maybe be PR games and, and trying to play the um, the political game within within their the manufacturers as well. And um, you know, what I see in social media, I, I take everything with a with a pinch of salt. You know, you heard that Hyundai said they weren't committing to to the next few years for quite a long time until um, maybe only a couple of weeks ago. But then very quickly they had a car ready to go. So um, yeah, all that sort of thing you, you take with a you take with a pinch of salt, and you just you know you have to just produce the best package that you can without. Um, you know, without getting distracted with what the other teams are doing. I spoke to Rich before, uh, I think it was last year, and just very recently about the input Ford Motor Company has. Now, again, for the benefit of listeners, Ford sponsors the team, but it's not a full works team as such. So I think the, the what Richard was saying and what Malcolm was saying this year, Ford performance is definitely... Um, ramping up its support is that is that fair and if so how important is that to, to, to be competitive from the get-go in Monte Carlo in January yeah for sure they are um, you know did you know a little bit of involvement um, and helped with the, with the 2017 car um, but yeah for sure they're, they're sort of ramping up their involvement um, even sort of not so much on the on the 2017 car now, but certainly their um, engineering support and the facilities that they have available is is you know far above and beyond what we have within M Sport. So um, and the budget as well, of course. So yeah, um, it's still very much going to be a sort of an M Sport car and, and run by run by us. But the, the support we're getting from Ford is you know it will be really helpful. There's no doubt about it. Um, you know the the aero side of it, for example, we don't have um, so much tools at our disposal within within M Sport within Cumbria. So um having a big a big motor company like like Ford doing some of that that work really really does help. Um so yeah, you know, it, it's gonna be a different um a different sort of team makeup next year I would say. You know, at the minute we are a very uh, very small working team that, that go to the events. Whereas next year I think maybe we'll have we'll have a few more um employees from Ford Motor Company getting involved. Um and yeah, you know it's if it makes us a, a more competitive outfit at the end of the day, then it's it's all you know. We're all the better for it. And there seems to be this misunderstanding that Americans, because Ford performance is American based, maybe Americans don't buy into rallying maybe as much as we do in in Europe and in the UK and Ireland. Is that would that be totally inaccurate and totally wrong to say that? Are they just as invested in this as you guys are? Uh, yeah, you know the people involved in the project. There's no doubt. You know they're they're really 
you know, really on board with it and, and fully committed. Um, in terms of like a wider approach from Ford, you know, for sure they have maybe the, as a as a company outlook, they they focus more on, on their NASCAR program or, um, you know, whatever else they have going on, which, you know, is understandable if, if that's what their, their priorities are. Um, but, you know, no doubt that the, the people that are on the rally program are, are fully committed and fully behind it. And, um, yeah, it's just, it's, it's sort of, I guess it, it is how it is. And uh, if we can make the most of it and um, get some performance benefits from, from that, then um, yeah, it's, it works well. And I think the other thing with the, the U S side of it is um, you can see that things in the U S are also ramping up with, you know, there's more R5s now competing in the American market. You know um, we were just a sort of a WRC spec car um, that went over there to compete as well. So, and, and all, you know, Dirtfish is, is pushing quite a lot from a, PR point of view for, for rallying in America. So, um, yeah, I think it's, it's getting a wider audience over there and, um, you know, maybe it's not that far away until we have a, a WRC event in, in the U S as well. So, um, yeah, although from a, as I say, from a company perspective, maybe NASCAR is their, their bigger program. Um, I think what we can do in WRC on a, on a global scale is still, um, you know, really important. And I think they, they also understand that. How difficult is it to focus on a 2022 car when you have your, your customer programs and, and the current World Rally Championship program? There's a lot of, of balls in the air there and you're, you're trying not to drop them. So how, how difficult is that to make sure everything, a bit like a swan, I suppose, nice and elegant on the surface, but going frantically underneath? <laughs> yeah, that's, <laughs> that's very well summed up, to be honest. Um, I think, yeah, we, we have... We have engineers that are dedicated to certain programs. Um, so, you know, some people are very much, you know, fully on, on 2022 side and, and working harder than that. And then we have some guys who are fully focused on, on 2017 and um, or the, t- the 2017 car, but for the 2021 season, obviously. But uh, yeah, I'm sort of <laughs> somewhere in the middle, to be honest. I'm doing quite a lot on, on 2022, helping out with the, the electronic side of it. And the again, the, the ECUs and the, um, the power systems in that car. And then, um, going and supporting the test from a, from a data point of view, but then I'm also trying to um, run a car in, in the 2021 season. So um, yeah, it's a constant, constant balancing act. And uh, yeah, I just have to deal quite closely with uh, the teams in both programs and try and, um, you know, allocate my time as best I can. Uh, it's yeah, for sure. As you say, it's, it is a balancing act and it's difficult to keep, keep everything, everything going at the same time, but um, yeah, it, it is what it is. Um, and yeah, I think the, the pandemic came at a, you know, not a, not a great time for, for M Sport either. You know, we had to get, you know, we made some, had to make some redundancies, unfortunately. And um, now things are starting to run back up again before we, um, you know, get up to sort of a, we're getting there, but like a full, a full team. Um, everybody's expected to do sort of two or three jobs. And, you know, that's, that's the same position that I'm in. And, um, it, you know, working on both programs, it's, I, I wouldn't change it. You know, it, it, it's nice to be involved in, in 2021 and still running, um, running Gus and on a few events and then a few events I'm, I'm sort of going as performance engineer. So I'm not running a car when I get to, to compare the, the drivers and the setups and, and, and work with both. Um, and that gives me more time to, to spend in the 2022 project as well. So yeah, no, it's, it's a balancing act and, um, you know, everybody's just, just invested in, in doing the best they can, you know, no matter what, what project they're on. Um, and it was there that, M Sport, you touched upon the fact that you're slowly ramping up the, the numbers of personnel on or boots on the ground, so to speak. And one of the areas M Sport uh, and a lot of the other teams is, is prioritising this 
those who maybe have a background in, in how hybrid technology works. So I suppose that that's needed because that, that is a very specific part of the car and the part of the car that really needs to work. So have you got people on the ground at the minute who are focused on that and are you expecting more people to, to join the camp in the next couple of weeks and months? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's, um, I think some of the people um, already employed, you know, you, you learn about this stuff in, in university anyway. So um, everybody has a, has a sort of a basic understanding, you know, within within the company of, of where we're at. And um, whenever we knew we were going to hybrid, um, some of the sort of current powertrain engineers started spending more time on, on the hybrid and getting up to speed with with what they expect for, for 2022. Um, and then, yeah, we're also, you know, looking for, for employees to, to support that side of it. Um, and yeah, it's it's um it's something different. It's it's interesting to be to be involved in, and um, we're we're involved in the uh, IPS E Trophy um, Jaguar Championship as well, which is a support series for Formula E. So you know we have plenty of mechanics who have gone you know undergone the high voltage training and um, know what it takes to work on on electric cars and, and EV powertrains. So yeah, you know some of that information and some of that technology was was quite easily transferable into twenty twenty two cars. So um yeah you know it's an emerging technology and well to be honest it's maybe not even emerging emerging anymore you know it is it's a technology of, of this day and age and um i think everybody probably in a mechanical engineering role at, at uni will be will be learning about it now and um yeah we'll be in a good position to um to to understand and to, to help out whenever we um, whenever we get these cars up and running okay and final question on the the new rules that are coming in next year when the 2017 spec cars first went to Mexico, the high altitudes, that, that obviously wasn't conditions that a lot of the teams could replicate. So in the, I think, was it El Chocolat, a lot of those higher altitude stages, the, the cars came to the finish, they were overheating, the, the, the dashboards were like a Christmas tree. Yeah. And there was a lot yeah. of, um, not, not reliability issues, but a lot of unknowns. Do you expect that to be this, the case when we begin the new 2022 rules cycle? Uh, and next year, uh, um, yeah, yeah, you know, it, it's going to be a, it's going to be a challenge, and, and testing is obviously very different to what you you end up seeing in a rally. Um, so you need to try and account for all probabilities in your in your testing, and and um, push the the battery to the to its limits, uh, and try and understand where the limit is, and and um, how close you can get to. It. I mean, the altitude side of it is, you know, not so crucial for the you know the battery it'll you know should perform just as well at any altitude but yeah it's, it's sort of the cooling is what you'll you'll struggle with more um so yeah you know you just have to try and as prepare as best you can and it's one of those things that you never really know until you go and go and do the event how things are going to pan out um so yeah you know there could be there could be a few surprises and um you know i just hope it's you know it's repeatable for all the teams and it's not a, an issue with the compact dynamic side of it and it's, it's you know something that the, the teams can can work with and and improve and um you know it's not uh a sort of a, a supplier issue that causes any you know i don't i don't foresee that either but um yeah whenever you have an external supplier supplying all teams with a with a unit you just hope it's a fair plan for you know i, I don't want to see toyota or, or hyundai retiring from events because of um something with the, with the battery that is outside of their control um so yeah that's 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 how it is and um i think we'll be in a hopefully in a, in a good position for that um and we, we, yeah but 
as I say, it, it doesn't take much for, for something just to surprise surprise the teams as well. We have talked uh, a lot about the, the hybrid power pack, but I just wanted to ask when it's in my mind, can you give listeners a little idea about this this new uh, roll cage or space frame? It, it, there seems to be, uh, from one of the pictures that M Sport released a couple of months back, uh, a bar that comes nearly down the middle of the door. So people were suggesting that doesn't make access into the car or access out of it quite easy. Can you give us a little idea of how is it different from the current uh, space frame slash cage that there is in the current Ford Valley cars? Yeah, so so at the minute, the or well, for the 2017 regulations, um, the body shell was, was homologated. Um, and to be honest, it makes it quite quite difficult whenever you're buying um, body shells from, from a major manufacturer. If they make any small changes um, on the production line, then suddenly your shell's not as per the homologation photos and you can get in in, um, in issues with the FIA quite quickly, to be honest, without fully inspecting or, or 3D scanning every single shell. So um, yeah, moving to the space frame makes sense from, from that aspect. And then the, the FIA are constantly pushing, you know, the safety regulations. So um, yeah, you know, it, it's all built within a, a certain set of guidelines from the FIA and it has to undergo some, some crash testing to make sure that it's safe for both the, the driver and the co-driver. Um, and that's sort of the, the makeup of the regulations, you know, where they're at at the minute. Um, I think maybe the our mule car isn't a, a perfect replica of, of how the, the bodywork will be on the on the finished product. So, um, you know, it may look a little bit different whenever you see it competing for the first time. But yeah, that's a that's one aspect of it. And um, it's, it's not something, to be honest, that the co-drivers are really complaining so much about once they've actually sat in the car and they see their position and where, where they are. Um, it looks, yeah, it looks different from the outside, but, um, you know, that's, it's one of those things. It, it may not look the same whenever the cars actually go to competition. Okay. Uh, well, just moving on to a bit more of your own personal experiences at M Sport, you've, you've worked with some uh, pretty successful drivers in your time, and I imagine you've a, a few stories to tell, but what's your experiences been of working with people like Sebastian Ogier and, and uh, the Octamaxes of this world? Are they approachable? Do they demand? Are they get high expectations? And does that force you as an engineer to try and raise your game and, and really show that you are capable of doing the job that they're expecting and asking of you? Yeah, I think you know the drivers are all are all different. They're all um, they all bring their own personality to, to the table. To be honest, um, I wouldn't say there's a certain trend that is the same between between all of them. Yeah, they they can be very demanding, but also um, you know any of the drivers I've worked with are also very approachable and, you know, they're not that, not that different to, to me or you, you know, they're, they're, they can be easy to talk to and outside of rallying, they, you know, they, they're, they're different people to what you should maybe see in the TV at times as well. Um, and yeah, I think that was one thing whenever um, Seb came to our team was, you know, we wanted to get his opinion on, on what we do at M Sport and whether it was different to what he had experienced with, with the other teams. And if there was something we were doing um, different or something we could, we could work on or, or get better at and, you know, to be honest, he said, you know, we're doing all the right things and I'm focusing on the right, um, the right aspects of the car and, um, you know, the sort of the principles of it and, and how we do things was, was spot on. So, um, yeah, yeah. And I think that also, um, was proven whenever we won the, we won the championships. So, um, I think what we do at M Sport is, is really good on a, on a small budget and a smaller team and um, to fight with the, the bigger manufacturers. So, um, yeah, you, you know, the drivers, um, they, they, yeah, they can, they can certainly be demanding, especially whenever things aren't, aren't maybe going so well. And um, 
yeah, you know, they also understand that M Sport is, is where it's at. You know, it's still a privateer team and it doesn't have the budget of the of the bigger teams. Um, I don't know, to be honest, how much that will change in, in 2022. Uh, you know, obviously, as, as we've discussed, we're going to have more more support from Ford. There's no doubt about that. Um, but whether or not we can compete at the same um, sort of budget levels as High and Diane Tudor are putting at the minute, uh, you know, I, I don't... I don't know the, the actual the figures that, that come along with that. So um, yeah, I think we'll be in a better position than we are today, no doubt about that. But um, yeah, it, it, you know they they're putting a lot of money into into the sport that I'm not sure if, if you know certainly Malcolm himself or or Ford will be able to do. Um, but as we've discussed, you know I, I don't think that puts us in a bad position either. You know we know how to spend our budget well and in the right places, and I think that's what's going to be interesting and and make things um, very competitive next year. Okay, um, Tom Fowler, he, he's a, a name that would be familiar to, to Rally Enthusiasts. He started out at M Sport Ford and he's now the, the technical director at Gazoo Racing. So I suppose the message there is um, if you want it badly enough, it's achievable. So is that something that uh, you always aspire to be the next, you know, the next rung of the ladder? Where, where do you see yourself maybe? I was going to say 10 years time, but in your profession, <laughs> it's always changing every other year. So what, what's your end goal for yourself, Jamie? Yeah, that's, that's an, it's an interesting point about Tom Fowler. I mean, he's obviously looking after Tudor at the minute. And then um, Christian Lario has just gone to, to Hyundai as, as well. So um, there's quite a, uh, an M Sport um, personality in all the main teams, which is interesting. So, yeah, you can see how good a stepping stone um, M Sport is to, to learn and, and really um, nailed down the you know engineering craft let's say for, for rallying and yeah you learn a lot, a lot very quickly so um, yeah just that just goes to show you how um, how big a player Emsport is and, and and what you can learn so um, for me yeah <laughs> I don't know to be honest what what the the end goal is um, I, th- I still see myself probably moving back to Northern Ireland at some day in the future so um, I, I wouldn't necessarily see uh, you know Put, put a, a time frame on that or, or say where I'm going to be in 10 years. But um, yeah, uh, I'll, I'll dodge that question as best I can. So okay. um, I, yeah, and um, there's, a, there's a family business as well. So that dad has a um, Macmillan Specialist Cars a workshop in, in Antrim. So, um, you know, my sister's not really so, so involved <laughs> in cars. So th- there's certainly some, at least some carryover there from, from me to, to what he's doing. So yeah, to be honest, I think longer term, maybe that's something that I'll be focusing more on. But um, yeah, let's see where the, the rallying and the engineering takes me first. Is fabrication and rally prep, is that something that you might um, like to get involved in more uh, perhaps later on in your life? Northern Ireland, again, has a very uh, rich heritage of, of people building rally cars, one-offs, really special builds. Was that something that maybe appeals to you? Yeah, yeah. To be honest, whenever you know, if I do move move back home and, and get involved in that side of it, then I'm not going to just completely forget what I've what I've learned up to now. And um, the rally engineer is something that, that I enjoy. So, um, you know, if there's something that can can sort of cross both paths and, and work for for um, you know involve both the rallying and and the family business, then then all the better. Um, you know, I certainly wouldn't uh, put anything put anything off or, or, or write anything off as to where, where I'll be in, in 10 years time or, or what will change whenever I do, I do move back home. Um, yeah, nothing's really set in stone. I'm just sort of taking, taking each day as it comes and seeing, seeing where we end up. So, 
Okay. And yeah, no, no, I, th I think that's, that's an interesting, you know, it's an interesting avenue to explore, but at the minute that's, um, I'm focusing on what I'm doing, what I'm doing at Emsport, I'm doing the best job I can here. Um, and then, yeah, I'll, I'll um, change my focus when, when things happen or, or change in the future. All right. And very quickly, uh, do you believe that Emsport Ford can, can win a title next season with the new rules? Is that something that the team genuinely believes is possible with the right driver uh, inside uh, inside the team? Yeah, absolutely. There, there's no question. I think everybody working on the project and within the team knows that we can we can produce a really good car, um, you know, with the new regulations and, and you've seen it in 2017. So, yeah, to be honest, there's only really um, some, you know, okay, let's not say, we're, I, I don't I don't want to say confident of, of, of winning championships. You can never be confident of winning championships, but we're confident that we've put a good package together and we're confident that we have something that can be can be reliable and can go and, and compete in the events. And yeah, as you mentioned, as you mentioned, it's, you know, it comes down to the driver as well that you have in the car. And I know that um, Malcolm and Rich are working hard to get to get somebody or, or to get more drivers to add to the program. But um, yeah, you know, you, you can only look at it from, from what we have today. And you see Adrian winning stages or a stage in, in Kenya and he's still still learning his learning his craft and Gus is competing at a, a really high level now as well and, and showing some good consistency. So um yeah, it, whether they can do it across a full season and and bring you know rally wins and and championships, you know, who knows, maybe it's um it's a big ask at, you know for next year. But um yeah, I think we're we're capable of producing a car that can compete at the top level. So um yeah, I'm 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 confident that we can we can at least uh, compete at the top level again and um, win win some stages and win some rallies. Okay. Well, so Jamie, thanks very much for coming on to the, the podcast and I'd like to just extend the best wishes to you and the team for the rest of this season going into 2022 and maybe we'll we'll get a catch up with you uh, maybe next season, maybe midway through it and see what your, your thoughts are on, on where M Sport 4 does in terms of the, the silverware trophy hunt. Will that do? <laughs> Yeah, spot on. Cheers, Jason. Cheers, thank you. Well, it was great to catch up with Jamie there. I hope you found that interesting and insightful in terms of what he does at M Sport Ford and how the new 2022 Rally One car is shaping up. Now, at this time in the programme, we're going to have a look back at what happened in the world of two and four wheels. And Arne, I'll hand over to you at this point. Yes, um, and we, we sort of touched on it there earlier on in the show. And the British Superbike Championship returned this weekend um, at Oldham Park in Cheshire in England. And um, it's decent weather all weekend. I think there was a, a bit of wet weather on Friday for the free practice and qualifying and stuff. But um, they, they had sunshine the rest of the weekend, which was great to see. And... I suppose the man on everybody's lips after the results was Jason O'Halloran because he had an immaculate start of the season, Hattrick of wins. Um, you know, in terms of an opening round, it doesn't get much better than that. Um, and it was Peter Hickman was well in the mix as well. Uh, we had to debate with Glenn Irwin last week as a short circuit racer, as a road racer. Well, he's proven that He's proven Glenn's point in the sense that a motorbike racer is a motorbike racer because uh, he ended up fifth in the in the final race of the weekend, but he had a podium in race two and he was fourth in the opening race of the weekend. And that he's um, on the the FHU um, BMW it used to be the Smiths racing BMW team, so 
it's, it's a beautiful color scheme the, the turquoise and gray and gold it just uh, it's a real striking bike and one that you know it really catches the eye every time you see it all their merchandise just stands out really well so their marketing team has definitely got it right but um, anyone listening there fho arn would like some free merchandise just a wee plug in there <laughs> <laughs> but for the air ones um it was a bit of a mixed bag for them andrew had a quite a disappointing weekend on on the synetic bmw he had a crash and he, he actually started the weekend quite well um free practice he was he was steady and i sort of thought to myself he's, he was actually top of the timing sheets at one point and i thought you know he's maybe gonna get get the grips with this bike straight away but unfortunately things went south for him um but the the saving grace for that is get it out of the system early and hopefully going to Knock Hill in a couple of weeks' time, he'll hit the ground running and get things back on track. But Glenn's predictions on last week's show probably weren't far away when he said about um, top six would have been a realistic um, accomplishment for him at Alton Park, and that proved to be the case because he had two sixth places and then a tenth in the third race. I'm not sure whether he made a change and it maybe set the bike backwards, but... Um, he, he didn't. He wasn't able to improve in race three. But for me, the the standout performer on the local front um, from here was probably Corey McGreevy in the Supersport class. He um, was making his debut for Martrain. Martrain were in the British Superbike paddock for quite a long time. Haulage Company from from Northern Ireland here, and they're running McGreevy in that championship. They used to run Silly in in the Supersport class, and he he proved his worth and. You know, he was right in there showing no respect to the likes of Jack Kennedy, you know, seasoned campaigners in the in the class. So he done very well. Um but he actually slid off in race two and he was right in the mix. He was I think he was lying third at the time and he just seemed to lose the front end at the there's like a it's quite a sharp chicane at the bottom of Clay Hill and he, the bike just seemed to slide out from below him, just a I suppose a racing incident, nothing really too major, but um, he was definitely pushing. Lee Johnson was out in that class too. Um, he 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 done well. Una McGlinchey was on his, it was his debut weekend on the Gearlink Kawasaki. Um, probably didn't go as well as he would have hoped. He, um, I think he had two twelfth places. Or he was definitely outside the top ten anyway. But I I, I think he had problems with arm pump. At the weekend, which is something that's quite common in, in motorbike racing, you know, riders are going all, all the time for operations to sort of release whatever it is, the muscle down the forearm. There's actually a good um, video on YouTube that Taylor McKenzie talked about. He had a, an operation in the off-season there for arm pumping. It seems to be a, quite a common thing where they're going in and getting wee bits and pieces tidied up. And sort of, I think the way it affects you is you lose some of the feeling in your hand and then I think you are you could be riding along just basically as a passenger with no feeling which isn't really it's not the safest thing in the world when it, when you consider the speeds and the horsepower you're working with there but Taylor is it like, is it like pins and needles or is it just a total, total lump sensation I, I would imagine Jason it must be like a pins and needles type sensation you know um, but I, honestly I've never experienced it so I can't really answer for you but you're not riding hard enough last week. No, I, I'm not doing the things them boys are, but Jack Kennedy, he he made a winning return to the Supersport Championship. Um, the Dubliner, he, he's 
basically a super sport man. Him and Sealy battled it out many over the recent in recent years, but Taylor McKenzie's arm pump problems definitely left him because he he won the super sport or super stock thousand race um on the Bathams BMW Michael Rutter run him in that championship this year. So uh, he, he I think he could be hard to stop there. Um, Luke Mossy, who was making the step down from the British Superbikes, was second. And then Eglinton's David Allingham, he was well in there too, but um, he actually got penalised because he didn't complete his long lap penalty. So it's all the new rules now, and he was unfortunate, but he slid right down the pecking order. I think he got a 15-second um, penalty, so be quite costly and mm. frustrating given the fact that you know, after running at the front the full race. Obviously, there was no uh, World Superbikes the weekend past. They returned this weekend at Donington. Um, I'm sure everybody that's listening is as bemused as, as I am about the restrictions in terms of spectators, but what do we do? That's just the, the nature of the beast, isn't it? But um, let, was it, let me just let me just see, it's 10,000. For, for Donington, uh, British Formula One at Silverstone on July 18th. That's a, a capacity crowd of 140,000 people. And for those who maybe just aren't familiar, Arne, we should say that um, Wembley will host a crowd of 45,000 for this evening's game um, against uh, England and Germany. So I think Jonathan Ray is a bit perplexed. Is that the right word as to why uh, the bikes have been, has a short changed or not, not been treated the same? I just can't get my head around, you know, who makes the decisions, how you can have a stadium, you know, that's full of people, but yet a, a motorcycling circuit is, when you take in the grounds of Donington Park, maybe span across, I don't know, could be five miles, you know, when you take in the outer boundaries of the whole track, so... I don't know. It's above my pay grade, but all I know is somebody needs to give their head a wobble and get it sorted out because, you know, these, these things can't go on forever. You, you can't uh, make one rule for one and one for another. Surely, to me, it should be across the piece, but I'll not, uh, I'll not leave my temper over the head of it. And then, obviously, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if you've seen that. It was quite bizarre, the fact... Maverick Vinales, he he's announced that he's leaving the factory Yamaha squad. So that that was a bit of a shock to me. Um, after an impressive result at Aston at the weekend, um, but him, him and his teammate Fabio Quartararo, they were one two for Yamaha, and then Joe Mayer, he he was the last podium finisher in the Suzuki. Mark Marquez, he was he came in seventh. Um. And then your good mate Valentino Rossi, he was he didn't finish. He did uh, yeah, Valentino let me down a bag for he had a crash and I, th- I think you know all um roads are pointing to his retirement at this stage. Um I think he's as much as saying that he won't be racing in twenty twenty two, but again a week's a long time and you never know. You could renege in these situations, but I suppose when you've been around as many bends as he has in his career, there comes a time where you sort of maybe fall out of love with the sport and, you know, it's a change in the guard. You see a lot of younger riders coming through now and 
it's maybe time for him to be caught today. He's, you know, he's always going to be remembered for great things. You don't want to run that risk of your career running on that bit too long where then you're maybe remembered for the stuff you did, you know, bad instead of the stuff you did good. But um, did yeah. I read there that um, is he getting more involved in a team role next year? Is it a satellite team or? He runs he academy and, and he also runs a team, the VR46. Um, guys, they have a Moto3 team, Moto2 team as well. So I, I think he, he has hands in maybe MotoGP as well. But um, that'd be interesting. There is chat that he's going to go fully fledged team, you know, um, sort of pay a bit more attention to that. And I suppose you can't really balance the books and both camps, you know, rider and team owner. You know something's got to give, so I think he's maybe at that stage where he's thinking, you know what, there's no time like the present to sort of give it up. But Remy Gardner, uh, he was the star of the show in Moto Two again. They and the Red Bull KTM's are sort of running away with that championship. They're just and on form every weekend. Having his teammate Fernandez, you know, they're just like a well, well oiled machine, should I say? And then after that, you had Sam Lowe's. He he actually had a great result. He came in in fourth. Dennis Foggy won the Moto3 race from Sergio Garcia and Romano Fanati with John McPhee, the Scotsman. He was he came in home in seventh. So that's as good a roundup as I can sort of give you. The Mandela Masters was also on last weekend. Yeah. John John Burroughs had Mike Brown and Paul Jordan down at Mandela. Um See Adam McLean was out there. Uh, young lad Lee Hara from Korean was was also down recent there. You know, there's a lot of local interest. Guys seem to be turning a bit more to short tributes this year just to keep your hand on with mm-hmm. um no well, not no road racing, but little road racing. So we'll maybe talk about that uh, a bit more on next week's show. I'll not I'll not I'll not blow the trumpet on that one just just yet, but um I think next week guests might be able to tell us a wee bit more about all of that. So that's basically all from my end of things, Jason. What what happened in the in the world of motors over the weekend? Well, I was just going to say before we go on to the motors, it, it would be a nice um, be a nice bridge between the two subjects. You know, Valentino Rossi has been known to frequent a rally car backwards and forwards and quite he successfully, has. most notably at the, the Monza Rally show. So it would be nice if he could um, squeeze a few more rounds in the, of the World Rally Championship. He's done Rally GB before and I think he's done at least one other event. So it would be nice to see high-profile names like that. It's always nice when they, they switch, switch codes. I think that's really good for, for the sports because it, it means that the, there's a nice crossover there and the fans from one side switch to the other and it's, I suppose it's a bit of an education. Um, so, yeah, it would be nice to see Valentino as well as doing MotoGP or whether from a managerial point of view or sitting on a bike, um, finding the time to do a bit more motorsport. And you never know, he might do track-based events. It seems a lot of these guys now like endurance racing, whether it's World Endurance, Championship of the Mon series yep. or even the Mon. So that, that, those are all possibilities, I'm sure, over the course of the, the next few um, months we'll, we'll find out more but speaking of cars and speaking of sh- tracks um, it was a really good weekend for for Hillsborough's Daniel Harper um, he's just 20 and um, he's become one of the youngest winners around the Nürburgring he's part of a, a three-man BMW 
junior team. That also includes Max Hess and Neil Verhagen. So on Saturday, he uh, finished the fourth round of the Nürburgring, Nürburgring Endurance Series, first overall. And uh, I'm sure that's going to be the, the first of many trophies for Daniel, Max and Neil. Uh, they seem to be really finding their groove now, aren't they? A bit of a problematic start to the year, but um, this is their second year as part of this BMW Junior lineup, and they seem to be like, uh, as I say, finding their, their groove. And Daniel described it as a fairy tale result, and to be honest, I think all those setbacks and disappointments, um, that's the results more than made up for. So um, I'm sure going forward, we'll, we can expect bigger and better things from him. Less of a successful weekend for Colin Turkmenton. Um, and I'm sure he'll be hoping that quite of bad luck for the season. It's all been used after last weekend's three races at the Brand, Brands Hatch Indy Circuit. He could only put his BMW 14th on the grid for the opening race. And um, I think that took a lot of people by surprise. Colin said that he more or less expected to be so far back. I don't know if people would buy into his explanation. One reason being the success ballast around that short track really didn't um, help uh, the rear-wheel drive car and it kind of played into the, the hands of his rivals. But anyway, it is what it is. We finished race one at disappointing 20th. Um, although it should be said he was, he was punted off the track in that race and he, he managed to find his way back onto the black stuff and... and go across the, the checker or the, the straight line and race two and three he came home in 17th and 14th so again um, frustrating for, for Colin disappointing for his fans and it all means that he's now fourth in the standings but um, better for Chris Smiley he is definitely on an upward trajectory at the wheel of his accelerated motorsport Hyundai he scored three top 10 finishes, and, and as he said a couple of weeks back to, to you and me, Arne, there are weekends that you can't win, you have to pick up points, because points make prizes, and he seems to be sticking to that game plan, and it seems to be paying dividends, so uh, definitely the correct Fergus man has found the, the element of the car that he knows what works and what doesn't, after a year on that last season, he's now, this is the second season and, and he seems to know what makes it tick so very good weekend for him and I want to quickly mention young Tom Edgar from Belfast he's in the the Geneva Junior Championship race um, or title hunt this season I should say and he finished at Brands Hatch and they sort of got fourth eighth and tenth although that sounds um, about average um, he still is in the title race and he is very much on course to to take a, to take the title fight to, to the final rounds. But um, he won last time out at Snerton, so I'm sure that's maybe just a, a little blip for for Tom, and they'd be back on, on song at the next round. Um, then there's the World Rally Championship. Goodness me, it was all going on this this weekend from Germany to England to to Kenya. Be well travelled. Um, it certainly wasn't the Safari Rally that. Oliver Solberg and his co-driver Aaron Johnson had envisaged. Um, they had a terrible shakedown. They, they damaged the damaged the car. They got it fixed. They got some uh, miles under their belt. Then early on Friday, the first full leg of the rally, they damaged the 
right rear side of the car, the suspension collapsed. Um, and I couldn't actually believe what I read. I had to double check this was two, two websites. The force of the impact measured 19G. Now, I don't know what 19G is, but it sounds a lot. Um, and it totally and utterly smashed the suspension. It was beyond repair. They couldn't go any further. And the, and the thing about it is, Arne, if you drive that car through a stage, you damage the chassis. And that chassis is needed for the next rally. So the more damage you do, it weakens it. At least it's susceptible to to not finishing the next event. So it was a, a call was made by Andrea Adamo just to listen, park the car up, learn from it. It's, it's a setback, but you're young. You're only, you're only as 19, goodness me. Um, the way we, we talk about me, you think he was in his mid-20s or early 30s. This guy's young. He's got time on the side, and I'm sure he'll do, do good things. But all the same, it was disappointing. Unbelievably, unbelievably for the third rally in succession, Hyundai threw away a potential rally win. And unbelievably, it was the same area of the car that gave way the right-hand corner of the car, the suspension. It seems to be a weak point in these cars. I don't know what... It's not the left-hand rear corner, it's the right-hand rear corner. And it's always this... I don't know if it's the suspension or if it's a support or, or if it's... Just, I don't know what it is, but this has cost him Hyundai dear. And, and the thing about it is, Andrea Adamo has gone on record as saying these are the same parts that we've used in Sardinia we've used these in Turkey those are both rough rallies okay granted safaris maybe a, a touch more um unforgiving but on the grand scheme of things these are these are parts that are built to stand whatever forces come through at them but Terry Neville was leading by a country mile and all of a sudden he's out of the rally Japan's Takamoto Katsuta, he's leading. So um, we're all thinking, is he going to get his first World Rally Championship win? But of course, when he looks down the timesheets, who's sitting but Sebastian Ogier? Now, what makes this all the more remarkable, on the Friday, he was two minutes behind the leader. So from two minutes off the lead to being in contention with two stages to run on Sunday, and of course, he goes on the wins of things. So... I don't know. Is there enough? Is there enough superlatives to describe that man? I, 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 I don't. I, I genuinely don't, don't know how to describe Sebastian Ogier. I think he's superhuman. Um, he's definitely one of the greatest sportsmen of all time. You know, you've got your your footballers, your rugby players, your golfers, your motorbike riders, but yeah, he's he's something else. So he won to extend his lead in the championship. Takamoto Katsura took second and Autonic restored some pride for Hyundai by, by finishing third. But we go to Estonia next month, July, and I'm sure um, that's an event Autonic won last year. It's home round of the championship, and I'm sure he'd be wanting to, to write a few wrongs there. Hyundai will be redoubling her efforts to try and put, uh, put Tuta off their perch, but as in time will tell. Um, just a couple other wee things. Wayne Boyd from Temple Patrick, he came third overall in the six hours of the Glen race in America on Sunday. Uh, he he managed that with Jim McGuire um, uh, and Guy Smith co-driving. So that obviously they, they, they share the 
tech stints behind the wheel and over the six hours they, they chop and change. But third place is a, a very commendable result for Wayne, who is back in European Le Mans Series action this coming week, I believe. And then finally, also this weekend, is round two of the European Rally Championship. Where we head to Latvia and there will be local interest in terms of Greg Breen, Callum Devine and also Keith and McCourt. It's a really fast rally. It's a gravel-based event and I'm sure there's going to be a real tight battle for the for the victory. We've got Nikolai Grayson, he's coming over from WRC2. We've got the defending the RC chairman, Alexei Lukyanuk, and we have Hyundai Motorsport junior driver Christian Vaby. So, yep, it's all shaping up to be another busy uh, weekend of motorsport action. Right, I suppose I need to do a, I haven't actually written a, a conclusion here. I'll just do this on the hoof. Well, that's another episode of Pit Lane Podcast. Oh, hold on a um, Sorry, let me just think. Um, well, that's all for this week's Pit Lane Podcast. Thanks once again for tuning in. If you go onto our Spotify accounts, you will see um, all episodes of the podcast one to eight please do give them a listen give them a like and do share them we do appreciate it and if you'd like to leave us a comment by our usual social media channels such as instagram or twitter you can do we're also on facebook but until next week stay safe and thanks for listening